0: We're in a series at the moment called, Led by Love. And it's really inspired by this thought, what are we to be led by? What are we to be known by as God's people? Now, there are some answers to that we could all give really easily, but for us as a, as a church, as a fellowship together, let's suppose, for instance, that you started coming to Bethel. Maybe today is your first day. Good to see you, welcome, you're here. If you keep coming for, let's say, a year, what changes would you expect to see in your life? What changes would we hope to see in our life? For those of us who've been here a bit longer than a year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what, what changes, what, what are we aiming for? If a complete stranger walked in and wondered, what are all these people doing? What would you look to see? What would you look to see that transformation in people's hearts? And we're trying to drill down uh, in this season on three core things. Firstly, and I'm going to say this completely unashamedly, I hope that we'll come to believe. I'm not going to force anyone to do it. I can't do that. I don't want to rush anyone to do it. Can't do that. I don't want to guilt trip anyone into doing that. But because by believing in Jesus, there is life in his name, I hope that we all come to believe. I do. I hope that we come to trust Him with more of ourselves, and the more that we go on as a Christian, that we don't sort of plateau, or even worse, dip, but that we get more hungry to know Him, more desperate to become like Him, more willing to serve Him. So that's what we were thinking about last Sunday, this whole thing about love and truth, about putting that first uh, in our lives. Uh, This week we're going to think about belonging, and I'm going to say this unashamedly. I'd hope that you'd come to belong to Bethel. To not feel that you were a stranger or an outsider or a fly in the ointment or a nuisance, but that you were part of the family of God here. And again, after a year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that that would grow and increase and you'd feel that sense of a family among us. I hope that that is part of our journey together. Yes, believing and belonging. Sometimes those happen in in different orders, don't they? I know for a lot of us, we belonged before we believed, and and that's okay, but I hope we do both. I really do. And lastly, we're not doing this for the sake of ourselves. As somebody once said brilliantly, the church is the only organization on the planet that exists exclusively for the benefit of its non-members. That this builds out. Into others that the love that we encounter the love that transforms us is too big not to share not to invite people into and so I hope that we befriend others and in doing so share something of this love of Jesus with others so I want us to land on the second one this morning what does it mean to belong the first thing I want to say is that we are led by love to belong and then that longing, uh, belonging leads us to love. Like all good questions, it leads us into a bigger question. And it's really a question of what the church is. When you hear the word church, what's the instant image that comes into your mind? And try as you might to divorce the word church from the picture of a building or this building is actually really difficult, isn't it? It's so easy just to have that kind of understanding that the church is a place that I go to. It's a point on a map. You could plot it with an X and a Y axis. I could show you where the church is. That's so difficult to get out of our thinking, of our understanding. The church might be this sort of little mini fortress in enemy territory where we have to live. And once a week or whenever, whatever the pattern is, we get to retreat away from all of that other stuff to be in the fortress, to be in the sanctuary, the safety of God's house, and then we have to go back out uh, into the world. But Jesus did not come to build a building. This place could get destroyed overnight. I hope that it doesn't, but it could do. And you and I would still be the church. We'd still be called, unable to believe, to belong, and to befriend. Sometimes then we shift in our thinking, don't we, away from church being the physical place to the stuff that we do when we gather together. Church can become the program of things that we do. We think of church and we think of activities, coffee mornings, chatty crafters, kids work, youth work, book clubs, small groups. And church becomes what I do. I've come across this a number of times when people are talking about the way in which we do church. I don't know how you can do church if you are church. And it's so easy to slip into that, isn't it? And along the way, sometimes something of what we were talking about last week can happen, that our first love, our passion can get swallowed up in programs and projects. And we can chase the next project. And church always becomes about the next event that we're promoting This treadmill of activities just eats our passion and steals our time. And sometimes, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the stuff that we do, but it itself is not church. And so we come to this thing that we've been saying, haven't we, for generations. The church is the people. And I'm always interested when something becomes a saying, how often you actually dig underneath that and explore what you mean by the church is the people. When we think of that, are we thinking of the people that we meet with every Sunday? That's the church. Well, actually, the church is much, much bigger than than just us. Or maybe sometimes when we think of the church as people, we think of people in the church. Those at the front leading us or those behind the scenes planning stuff or keeping stuff going. They're, They're the church. Or sometimes we can think of people in the church that we really like. The ones that we sit by. The ones that when we come in one Sunday and they're not there, we think, Oh, no, where am I going to... Who am I going to have to sit next to? Amen? Somebody, Somebody felt that. Somebody felt that. What do we mean by the church is the people, unless we mean all the people? What about the people who are not yet belonging, that are still on that journey... In our thinking, in our hearts, is there still room for them to be part of the church? What about people who do believe but have big questions, who have big struggles and strains, who believe something that is fundamentally Jesus but slightly different to us? Is there room for us, for them to belong in the people of God? One of the things that jumped out at me as I was reading uh, this passage, I was actually reading it a couple of weeks ago in preparation for our discipleship group, uh, Bless, uh, this amazing passage this is something that leapt out of me. I wonder if it leapt out at you as we were reading it today. He says, for just as each of us has one body, but many parts, many members, so these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ. We though many form one body. Now here's the bit that le- left out of me. If I can there you go. Just building up the dramatic tension there for a moment. And each member belongs to all the others. I belong to you. And you belong to me. Because we all belong to the body of Christ. And it's easy, isn't it, to say, yes, I I belong to Jesus. I've signed up for that. And Jesus belongs to me. Much more messy and tricky and awkward at times to think about how we belong to each other. And Paul is really clear here that not all of us will have the same function. Not all of us will be called to do the same types of work. Some of it will be obvious and evident. Some of it we'll never see and never hear about, but it's all part of the body of Christ. And not one part of the body can look at another body, another part and say, I don't need you. Or one part of the body that, that kind of looks at what someone else is doing and thinks, well, I couldn't do that. They're not, as Paul says, for that reason, a lesser part of the body. Each member belongs to all the others. Now, just a glance at that verse tells you that Paul's vision of the church is very different to, that's the church I go to. They're the people I sit and sing with on a Sunday morning. That will be part of it, but only a small part, perhaps the smallest part of what it means to belong to each other there have been some fascinating studies uh, done recently on the effects of isolation. Really interestingly, these studies were available long before COVID, but frankly were ignored uh, in our response to the pandemic. Uh, One was done in Alameda Alameda County, it's in California. It was done with 7,000 people over nine years, so one of the largest studies of its kind ever. And They gave these people a, a questionnaire that surveyed certain things uh, in their lives. Every six months, they refilled one of these in uh, over the course of, of nine years. At the end of it, they discovered that isolation is worse for you than alcohol, tobacco, and an he- unhealthy lifestyle. Basically, scientifically, it is better to eat donuts with friends than eat broccoli alone. Scientific, <laughs> scientific, scientific. They discovered that if somebody had a healthy lifestyle in every aspect, but was not part of a social group, they were three times more likely to die within the next year. They found that if somebody who was not part of a group then joined a group, their chances of dying in that year decreased by 50%. So scientifically, I can stand here and say, join the church or die. No, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But I do know this, that to be part of Jesus' body is life-giving, is Healing. Another study uh, that was done by the American Medical Association, Uh, they took 276 people and they gave them the virus that that we know as the common cold. Now, they knew they were signing up for this. It wasn't a a trick. They knew that this would happen to them. And they just tracked uh, how they coped with it. And people in social networks with deep relational health, uh, they discovered they did four times better dealing with the common cold their symptoms were less, their immune system was stronger, and when tested at the end, they had less of the virus. Isn't that incredible? Simply by having connections, by a deep, healthy, relational life. They also found that the people uh, who were isolated, I'm not making this up, produced more mucus than the others, so unfriendly people are snottier. We can prove it scientifically. (laughs) They are snottier than others. And I think what these Studies are showing fascinatingly to me is what the Bible has said all along that you and I were created for community. You were made to be known and to know, you were made to be shared with and to share, you were made to love and to be loved, you were made to bless and to be blessed. See, when God created all these things, and I love that passage in Genesis 1 when God's power, God's word, God's promise is, is speaking things into, into being. And there's this rhythm to it every time, isn't it? And he makes and he sees and he says that it's good. Time after time again, God's delight in creation. And then he steps back from it all and rests for a day and sees it all working together in harmony and balance. And then he says, that's very good. And then we get to the next chapter, and that word good comes up again. But this time, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. We can study 7,000 people in California or 276 somewhere else and discover what God says on page one of the Bible. It's not good to be alone. And we know that, don't we? To be alone with our thoughts, to be alone with our struggles, to be alone in our challenges, to be alone in our needs, to have a secret and not share it is unhealthy. Alcoholics Anonymous have discovered this years ago and they've got a phrase that they use. It says, I get drunk, we stay sober. Something about being open and honest with a group of people where that community can surround you, holds you, and strengthens you. It's not good for us to be alone. And this same God who spoke creation into being then comes and stands on this good earth that he's made and speaks life uh, to us. The word that was in the beginning made flesh. And Jesus says, I will build my church. The same God... Who created the universe is creating his church. That's what the church is. That's who you are if you're part of it. God is up to something. He's building, creating something, and it's us. And I don't know if anyone's told you, but there's no plan B. It's us. Invested in us this hope of glory, this message of grace. And if we don't love and tell the world, Jesus says, I will build my church. Really interesting, that, that word build gets used an awful lot in the New Testament, hardly ever about buildings. It's a word that Paul would use later on to, to one church it's when he says, Therefore, love and encourage one another, building each other up in the most holy faith. One thing that we can all do if we want to be like Jesus, who is at work building His church, is just to encourage someone today, to build someone up, to think about how I can use my words to speak life and hope and joy into someone else, not to bash into them or to break them down, but to encourage them. How could we do that today, to be part of the building of Jesus' church? If you're a part of the Bethel Book Club or, or not yet, and you would like to be, we're about to start a new book together by an author called Dallas Willard. If you want the details of that, grab me afterwards. But here's a quote of his, the aim of God in history. Now, if you're going to finish that sentence, I'd love to know how you'd finish it. Here's how he finishes it. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons, with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. That's the church. That's what I want to be part of. And somewhere deep inside every living person, embedded deep in the DNA, is a hunger for the same thing. To experience the presence of God. It's God's aim in history, inclusive community of loving persons. Someone asks you, what did you do yesterday? Well, I went to go and share worship and fellowship with an all-inclusive community of loving persons. Let's try that and see how many people we get uh, next Sunday. In another passage where Paul is taking the same theme about who we are in Christ and the fact that we don't have to have it all together because all together we have it. You don't have to know the answer to every question because someone in the body will have life and wisdom and experience to speak into that. You do not have to have every gift. As you read the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you haven't got to have them all, thankfully. As I think about the ways in which God has shaped me and, and gifted me, I'm so grateful for the gifts that I've got, but I do not want a church of people like me. And you do not want a church of people, we get nothing done, like people like me. And with respect, I don't want a church full of people who are just like you. Because we need each other, we need all the gifts of God's Holy Spirit. And Paul says within that, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Not just the pastoral care team, not just the visitors. Everyone should have concern for every part of the body. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Not just the welcome team not just the leaders, everyone rejoicing together. I was out this week in the garden um, mowing the lawn, well, or slaying the jungle, it probably should have been called, Uh, and uh, there's some creatures, that I don't know if you have these, that live in in your garden, there's some that live in mine, uh, and they just love to feast on my blood. They're not vampires, but they might as well be. Uh, And I had a bite in the back of my, my calf muscle in my leg. And it's bizarre, isn't it, when you have a little thing like that, how it affects your whole body, how having to compensate when you work, you know. I'm 42 now, so I feel the aches and pains uh, more than I would. And that's just, thank you, Mary, thank thank you. I wanted some sympathy. I said encouraged, and I wanted some sympathy. And if that's true physically, if one part of us suffers, if someone's hurting, If someone's missing, every part should notice. It's no one else's job but all of our job to care for each other. If one part is honored, if there's reason to celebrate, what does Paul say in in Romans? Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. There should be space within the community for both. So that those who come rejoicing for a reason, uh, for any reason, can can feel able to share that. And those who come just beaten up by life should feel able to share that as well. Rejoice and mourn together. Because you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. I was reading a book by Lewis Meads a couple of years ago. And there's so many passages I underlined in it. I might as well have underlined the whole book. But this one has really stayed with me when it comes to community, and especially Christian community, he says there is a world of difference between being friendly and being friends. And he asks the question, and it's a great question, how often as churches do we settle for being friendly and not walk the longer and sometimes more costly roads of being friends? It's a great question. I'd love us just to pause there for a moment today before we respond together. and I want you to sit for a moment with, with two different questions. Just in response, I mean there's, there's so much we could say this morning, but just two simple things, two things that we can all do. The first question is this, who can I build up? Who can I encourage? And we're actually going to do this. So if you're here and you've got a mobile phone with you and it's on, and there's somebody you just need to WhatsApp or text or tweet or whatever it is you kids do these days, then, uh, then let's just do that. Let's encourage each other. Just genuinely, I've, I've seen something in you of love, of grace, and it's blessed me. And I want to speak to that. I just want to build that up. It might be somebody in the room, and you might choose to do that over tea and coffee. It might be somebody who's not here today, and you might want to email or drop a card around. It might be somebody who can't come regularly, and you just want to say, look, we miss you. We understand there are struggles and challenges, but just know that we miss you. There's no guilt on this, just we miss you. Imagine if each and every one of us did that. How many more people would be built up and feel part and be part of the body of Christ? And then a second question, what can I build up? If in this body we all have different functions, different roles to play, then a question for all of us is, well, how am I being part of this? Is there a way in which I can, I can give some time or energy or finance or prayers or hopes and experience or gifting? Is there any way that I can serve and be part of this? I don't know if there's anything that helps us feel part of the church more than just rolling up our sleeves and, and getting involved somewhere. And maybe there's some people here who are thinking, well, I, I do have hopes and dreams and experience and gifting, but there's not a natural place where I can offer those but there is something I feel I could do. Please don't sit on that. We'd love to know because we are the body. It's not for people to say, well, that's your gift or that's your gift or you can do this or you could do that. You're part. And if there's some way in which you'd love to serve, please come and talk to us. It might not be, one of, the, it might be the, one of the obvious things about music or singing or tea and coffee or, fe- or, or, or kids' work or youth work. It might be something completely different. We'd love to sit with you, see if that could be fanned into flame somehow. So who can I build up? And what can I build up? What I'd love you to do, just for a moment, is to turn to someone around you and to share your answers to those two questions. Here's why. Another bit of research has shown that simply telling somebody else that we are going to attempt to do something increases the likelihood of us actually doing it by 75%. So I can sit on my own and I can have a thought and think, "Mm, that would be a great thing to do, John. If I never mention that to anyone, I'm robbing myself of that opportunity to journey with somebody who will say, how did that go? Do you want a hand with that? Can I help with that? Or yes, that's something I want to do as well. So just sharing with somebody how we're going to do this uh, will increase our chances of doing it 75%. And another figure for you, you can tell I like figures this morning, quite unusual. Uh, If we hear something and don't act on it, within 72 hours of acting on it, the chances of actually ever getting around to doing it are almost minimal. What's interesting is that Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, like a person who builds a house on the rock. The person who builds a house on the sand is not those who never hears the words of Jesus. It's the person who hears them and doesn't put them into practice. So the clock is ticking. 72 hours. Just turn to some people around you. Maybe it's somebody that you don't know, so take a moment to introduce yourselves. In fact, that would be fantastic if we just took a moment to introduce ourselves. And what's your response this morning to these two questions? Who can I build up? And what can I build up? Let's just take two minutes to share with the people around us.